Welcome to the Hanover Valley Podcast, a ministry of Hanover Valley Presbyterian Church. We are located at 133 Carlisle Street in downtown Hanover, Pennsylvania. Check out the rest of our website at hanovervalley.org. Thank you for listening. Turn to the book of Acts, chapter 10. We're going to continue in our series in this uh, sequel to the book of Luke, written by Luke, both books written by him, uh, to describe the life of Christ, to describe the person and work of Jesus, both part one in his physical presence and then part two acts in his spiritual presence. And the effect of his presence in the world and on it, and the change that results in that process—that that God, that Christ was affecting, uh, restoring, and changing the world through His physical presence, but has done more, as it were. Um, Jesus even told His disciples, "Greater things than I have done will you do." <laughs> When the Spirit comes, that there's, that there's more work of Christ taking place now than when Jesus was physically present. And oddly enough, the way that he does that is through his personal presence by his Spirit in the life of his people. That's a very inefficient, to my mind, process. I've told you that. It doesn't make logical sense to me. It makes better sense to me. It seems that Jesus just kept doing it himself. Isn't that the way you feel about things sometimes? Especially when you give chores to your kids? Can you do this? You're trying to teach your kids how to load the, load the dishwasher. I, I need to write a book on kitchen theology because that's mostly where my... Mostly, if I'm sinning, it's in the kitchen. But you're teaching your kids how to load the dishwasher and then they load it and you come back and you're going, this is not helping. I got to reload it. I got it. It's not done the right way. These things, this, this egg is not coming off this plate unless you rinse it. And so they're, they're doing it completely wrong. And, you've, and so it takes you time to train them beforehand and then the time to come back and train them at the, you know, you know, come back and check it and then time to redo it because they didn't do it right and then time to debrief about how they didn't do it right and then train them. The next. It's so much work. When you put things in the hands of people who aren't good at it. Thing is, you and I, God's people, because we're sinners, because we're broken, we're not good at anything God asks us to do. Why in the world would he put his gospel, why would he put the hope of changing the world into our hands, into the hands of his people? It's the same way, some of it has to do with, with, uh, with something that occurred to me when my son was five or six and he wanted to help me cut the grass. And I'm using the, the push gasoline lawn power thing. And he, and he wanted to help me cut. Dad, let me help. And so what help looks like when a six-year-old wants to help you cut the grass, what help looks like is him holding on to the small, on the handle that's lower of the lawnmower, the one, the little bar that goes across, and me holding on to the top one. And then I've got to straddle around him while we're doing it. And it's much slower. And the grass doesn't quite look as nice, but it gets cut. But I got to do it with him. And he got to do it with me. And the look on his face when he's pushing that thing, thinking he's doing the work, 
was priceless. And it's a memory and a story I'm still telling 30 years later. There's some of that going on in some of this, why God puts it into the hands of his people. Because he gets to be with them while they're doing it. We get to be with him. And we get to see him do the work while we get to be in it. And more gets done in the mysterious inefficiency of the gospel. Let's look at this next section in Acts chapter 10. I'm going to read a little bit more than you have printed in your bulletin if you're following the bulletin at all. Um, but uh, just follow along if you, have a, if you have a Bible near you. I'm going to start reading at verse 9, but then read a little bit further down. Let me see exactly where I'm going to end up there. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while, he was, and, and, while, uh, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. And then a voice told him, get up. Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision... The men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, was, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the, the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one you were looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him, uh, told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into his house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the brothers from Joppa went, went along. The following day, he arrived at Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting him and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met with him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up, stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objections. May I ask why you've sent for me? Cornelius answered, Four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the house of Simon, the tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and as it was good for you to come, 
Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of the peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what it happened throughout Judea, beginning with Galilee after the baptism of John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth from the Holy Spirit and power and how he went, um, went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are his witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in, Jer and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to, to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. When Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard it, the message, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on these Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in the tongues and praising God. When Peter said, then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus, and, then, and they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. This is God's word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that its truth might penetrate our hearts, hard as they are. Soften us, Father. Break us if need be, that we might, that we might uh, long for what you long for and be changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do people change? I mean, really. Um, the, the longer I'm with people, um, the longer, you know, I'm, I live in a marriage, the longer I have children, the longer I spend time with people, I, I want, I, you know, I start to wonder, do, do people change? Do you still hope that people will change? Do you still, do you still have a sense that people will change. I mean, you know, uh, the, the the cultural idea is mo most most of what is in the culture, you know, thinks uh, most modern psychology, most modern uh, modern day, uh, the adage is people never change, people never change. But what we've been seeing in the Book of Acts, we've been seeing these last couple of stories, these last couple of of. Uh, uh, of experiences that, that, that Luke has put together for us have shown us dramatic and concrete change in the lives of people. People you would never imagine would change. We, the, uh, we, we see an Ethiopian man who was uh, in, in, the, in the high council of the queen of Ethiopia. He's, he's, uh, he comes to Jerusalem seeking something, seeking an answer to his questions about how can I find an identity? How can I find hope beyond my own experience? How can I be included? How can I, I've been, I've been oppressed physically, 
sexually. I have lost all sense of myself and all sense of hope. Is there any hope for me? And we see him changed. Saul, by all, by all accounts, from, his, from himself and from the people who knew him as he was growing and as he became, as he became more uh, ingrained in the culture. A religious man. Paul even says of his own experience, I was, I was the, a Pharisee above all other Pharisees. I was the, the best of the best. When it came to righteous deeds, I, had, I, was, a, I was an upstanding man. And yet, this upstanding, religious, righteous man was a murderer, was an approved murderer of Christians, of other, of other, of other humans, of other people, of other parts of, of the culture. A, a man full of hatred, a man, a man driven, driven to cause fear and oppression in the people around him, and the. And you, you wonder what, what his religion turned him into and yet knocked off his horse by the light and brilliance of the grace of Jesus and changed in, into the most prolific church planter and evangelist human history has ever known. And here, the next thing we see, the story of two more men one man, Cornelius, who we see in this passage, the people are speaking of it, he's an upstanding man. Uh, uh, it says he was uh, devoted to God, a man of prayer, a man of mercy, his, his giving to the poor. He certainly had, a, he, it says that he's, in, in the early part of the passage, it says that he was God-fearing, generous. Uh, he prayed regularly to God. He was known throughout the, the Jewish nation, throughout his whole area. And he's in the military. Cornelius was a, was a, uh, was a military centurion. Um, and a, a noble, upstanding man that people respected. And yet, in need of change. And the other story we see, the other person we see, we see two men, Cornelius in need of change and Peter in need of change. Do people change? Yes, people change. Can people change? Yes. Can people, people change? Can, can the people around you, can you hope that, that when you pray for change in the people around you that they will change? Can you still hope for that? Yes. These stories, these part of what, part of what Luke is communicating part of what Christ is communicating in his word is that as bad and as messed up and as broken and as betraying and as sinful and as uncontrollable it seems like we are we can in fact see change in the lives of the people around us and more importantly you can see change in you how many how many of you have long since lost hope that you'll ever be able to be free of the, of the, of the elements that are suffering and, and, and straining in your lives for so many years? Maybe you're, maybe you're racked with worry and anxiety. 
Maybe you've always been driven by guilt and people's approval. Maybe you're, maybe you're just overwhelmed by fear. And, or there's just an addiction or a, or a lust that just seems so oppressive and, and like you have no ability to overcome it. And you've long since lost hope that any of that could ever be, that you could ever be free of it. And that there could be honest, tangible, concrete, measurable change in your life. The book of Acts, the whole, the whole scriptures tell you yes. Tell me yes. The book of Acts, these stories of, of tangible, concrete change in the lives of people provide such great hope and such great opportunity for us to believe that this can be true, not just of these people on an odd page of the scriptures, but in my own life and in the lives of the people around me. What else is the gospel doing but changing, but redeeming, restoring, and transforming the people around them? This is what he's, he's trying to move us back into the Garden of Eden. He's trying, to, he's trying to repair the damage that you and I have done to our lives and that the, and that the great fall into this has done to our lives. He wants there to be health and healing and wholeness in our lives. Change is possible. And this passage tells us who needs to change, how change occurs, the means by which change occurs, and what we can expect when change occurs. So you're getting four points today. If you wrote all, if you wrote all those down, I'll even repeat them if you'd like me to. Who needs to change? How they change? By what means do they change? What can we expect when change occurs? Who needs to change? Short point, everyone. Everyone. <laughs> everyone needs to change. No, there is no one that doesn't, that doesn't need to change. And, that, and, and I say that because it's not completely obvious. Is that I, I am more aware of how everyone else needs to change. In my world, I am, and I'm not alone in that. <laughs> you are more, let me put it in a way that's maybe more tangible to you. You are more aware of everyone else's need to change than your own need to change. You are more conscious of it. And the reason that is, is because they're, they're not changing. The people outside of you, they're not changing is irritating you more than your own need to change. I know that. I've experienced that. I tell you stories about it all the time. And that's why Jesus was always aware, was always careful to be telling people, don't go trying to pick the log out of somebody else's eye. Well, well the speck out of their eye, the log out of your own. Don't go trying to pick the specks out of other people's eyes. That's the change factor. Don't go trying to take little tiny things out of other people's eyes when you've got a large thing in your own. You've got big change to take place. You've got big changes. They've got little changes from your perspective. And stop trying to pick that up until you're picking the making the large change out of your own lives. Everybody needs to change. And I say that because more often you are more concerned for what they need to do than what you need to do. 
And I, you look at this in the life of Peter. Peter was uh, one of the apostles, one of the lead apostles. Um, and and the, the history, the background of his own experience was um, Judaism in the life of Peter. Peter was a, Peter was a, a Jew by, by birth and by heritage, and that, that was his religious background up until com, coming to Christ. And when Jesus, entered, Jesus came into his world, it changed everything. But Peter, by birth and, and by background, was a Jew, and the, and the Jewish nation had, had twisted, twisted some of the, some of the things that, about Judaism and God's, God's connection with them into thinking that Jews were better than everybody else and that God favored the Jews more than everybody else. When, when that wasn't ever true, God even told the first Jew that he, that he connected with, the, the father of the Jewish nation, Abraham, he even told Abraham at the very beginning, I'm going to bless all nations through you. I'm going to gather to myself and gather through you a nation of many tribes, languages, peoples, and nations are going to come and be, a, I, want a whole, I, want a, I want a family <laughs> That is multi-ethnic, multinational, multi-language. That's what I'm gathering through you. Not isolated, singular, favorite. I'm not trying to make you favorite. I'm trying to gather everybody through you. That was always God's plan. But, but, but sinful people take the message of God and twist it into something that now. And so Peter was raised in a culture where he would look poorly upon Gentiles people who weren't Jews, as if they're, they've got more problems than I have. They need more change than I do. As a matter of fact, I'm not, you know, there's, there's a sense where Peter might have said to himself, I'm not sure Gentiles can change. I don't know that they can be in the kingdom of heaven. They're so gone. They're so far away from God. They're so far neglected by God that there's no way they can possibly get in. And so, does a man who does the does a man who has this background does he need to change? Yes, he needs to change. And so God intervenes intervenes and uses his own hunger, his own, Peter's, Peter's hungry and, and has some people making some food for him and while he's, up, while he's up on the roof praying and hungry, God gives him a vision and a vision of a, of a, of a tarp, of a, of a sheet that comes down full of, full of animals to eat, many of which would have been in their minds in, in a Jewish ceremonial uh, food laws uh, been, been unclean, you know, pork and, and other things uh, that, that Jews wouldn't have naturally eaten and might have been disgusted by. And, Peter's, and, and the Lord says, eat it. And Peter says, no, Lord, I, mean, I don't eat that stuff. I would never eat that stuff. It's not, it's, it's not honoring to you to eat that stuff. Plus, I don't... I don't like that stuff. And God says, don't, don't, don't tell me what's pure and unpure. Don't tell me what's clean and unclean. If I say something's clean, if I've made something clean, it's clean. You eat it. And then the vision goes away. No, the vision didn't go away. Came back three times. Vision, he, God gave him the vision three times. And then when the vision's over... Peter's going, wow, what, is that? what do you think that means? 
I read the story once. I know exactly what it means. Peter, what is... And then the guys are at the door, Gentiles at the door, and it says, Peter's still wondering, what does that vision mean? Golly. Hardhead. God's trying to change him, and he still doesn't see the need to change. He still needs, he gets a vision, he gets a voice, and then he gets an experience. Who needs to change? Everybody. And from your perspective, you need to change more than everybody else. You get what I mean when I say that? From your perspective, the number one person who needs to change is you. And, the o- and here's the thing. The only way, maybe I can help you to surrender to that idea, is the only way that you're ever going to give way to that idea that you need to change more than anyone else is that you can trust that God is on the job changing the other people in your life, okay? You can trust that God is on the job changing other people, and so you can let go of that and just change you, okay? We see that even in the passage a little bit. Cornelius needed to change. He didn't even know how he needed to change. He just, he just knows he's honoring God. He's praying. He's giving to the poor. Something's wrong. Something's not right. And God intervenes. God comes to him in a vision and says, Cornelius, there's something you don't have. There's something you need. As a matter of fact, there's something desperate that you need in order to change. You need to be converted. You're a good religious man, but there's something missing from your experience, and you need to go get it. So go send for Peter. Now, here's the thing. If God hadn't changed, if God wasn't on the job changing Peter, Cornelius is having trouble. But Cornelius said, okay, I'll go get Peter. He got, Cornelius was concerned for his own need to change and went after it, not trying to get Peter to change, not trying to fix, because Peter, racist that he was, needed to change in order to get into the door in Cornelius' life. But God was on the job, changing people. As a matter of fact, Part of what we saw last week with the change that occurred in Paul's life, God wants, to, God wants the gospel to get throughout the world, and, he, and his mouthpiece to do that in these early years was Paul. And so he knew the Jews weren't going to make that shift. So he, so he had, well, the, the Jews weren't going to make that shift because they were, they were the Gentiles. They'd written off. And so to get from Judea, Samaria, to get to the uttermost parts of the earth that he says, I want, I want Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the most parts of the earth. To get the uttermost parts of the earth, he's going to have to do some converting. He's got to do some changing. So he changed Paul to be that mouthpiece, to get to the uttermost parts of the earth. And prolific church planting occurred. Now he's got to get Cornelius, a Gentile, a Gentile God-fearing man, moral guy, noble man in the community, but missing something. I got to get him. And so God's changing him. God's changing Peter. Everybody needs to change, whether you're outside or inside the kingdom. Whether you're outside the kingdom or inside the kingdom. Cornelius was outside, needed to change. And obviously needs to change. Peter, inside the kingdom, 
but obviously needs to change. And the gospel's doing it all. Gospel is changing it all. Who needs to change? Everybody needs to change. How do people change? By God. By God. The person that's most active in this passage is God. God's intervening to change Cornelius. He's intervening in Peter's life to change Peter. God is changed. And then in the end of the passage, part of the reason I read the end of the passage is that God, by his spirit, lands on the people in the room and changes everybody in the room. God changes people. People don't change people. You are powerless to change the people in your life. And you're, you're really powerless to change your own life. And what I mean by that is that, we, that God is the one who has to change us by trusting in him, by letting his power become at work in us. We change by trust. We change by, by receiving his power, by receiving his change, by being open and captivated by that idea. Cornelius didn't even know how he needed to change. He's just living his life, giving to the poor, praying to God every day, doing, his, doing what he thinks is his best. And God says, you're missing something, Cornelius. You're missing something. There's something you need that Peter can give you. And in the end, we discover what he was missing, we, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that. He's missing Christ. He's, he's missing Christ. He's, he's, he's a good moral guy. He's a good, he's a good noble man. And people can be good and moral without Christ. But it's empty without Christ. There is, there is nothing. And that's what, Peter, that's what Peter had to give him. Peter had Christ but wasn't moral. <laughs> Peter... Peter had Christ but didn't love outsiders. And he needed to change. He needed his eyes open to that prospect. And so God intervenes with a vision. God, but God is the one, the Spirit of God is the one, the power of the resurrected Christ, Jesus, and the message of the gospel, the centrality of Christ is what changes. The means by which he does that are numerous, are, are, often, are often, you know, multifaceted. But, but predominantly, we do see some things that seem to be the same in a lot of the different experiences that we see here, okay? Even if you go back to the Ethiopian and you go back to Paul and you go, back to, and you go to this story in terms of Cornelius and Peter, the way that change occurs is, is that God uses a person... That there is, that he uses relationships to change us. Cornelius needed a person to bring him truth, to bring him the message of forgiveness through Jesus. He needed a person. God could have told, he certainly had, he certainly had Cornelius' attention. He's getting a message from God, and Cornelius believed the message. He wasn't, it wasn't as if Cornelius was like skeptical of this, of this voice, like, oh, I don't know if I should believe this voice. No, he, the next day he got up and sent guys out. So he's believing the voice. Why didn't God just say, hey, you're missing Jesus. You can have forgiveness if you trust in the... Because relationships, tactile encounters with people who believe the things that are necessary and can communicate it in ways that we understand. 
There's sometimes where my, my, where my wife can tell me something that can, can convince me of something that, that I, is on the pages of Scripture, but she brings it in, the, in a flesh and blood fashion. There are t- sometimes that my, my good friends and that the elders can, uh, and, that, and, and that people in my life can say to me in a way that, that impacts me. It's not, it's not that I don't see it here. I, I see it here daily, but, I, but, they, they, but their lives and their words and their, and their love penetrate the hardness or the, or the ignorance of my own darkness. We need relationships. And so Peter was the relationship that Cornelius needed. And Cornelius, the outside, the Jews would have called them Gentile dogs. An insult. Peter needed a relationship with a Gentile dog to teach him. Each learning from the other about the grace of God. Here's a man who doesn't even know about Christ and the, and the impact, and Peter's learning from him. He comes into his house and he says, obviously God doesn't play favorites. <laughs> As a result of knowing you, Cornelius, God doesn't play favorites, and he's beginning to change. He's beginning to see. Here's this man who's, who's a noble, God-fearing man but doesn't have Christ, and he, get, and he puts together, a, he puts together a, an investigative Bible study, but he needs a teacher. And so God provides him with a teacher, provides him with, provides him with the person who had the message. He had the people. He had his family. He had his friends. He had his neighbors. And Peter comes into the house, and there's a huge crowd. People, proclamation, the proclamation of truth changes people. Proclaiming truth through the means of people, or, or, prayer, Critical, I didn't mean for that to be alliterated. just sort of came out that way. People, prayer, proclamation. All are, the me- are among the means through which God uses to make change occur. And they seem so uh, powerless, don't they? Relationships. What good, what, what, what's happening? All we're doing is hanging out. Nothing seems to be changing. Nobody's, cha- nobody's doing, you know, I, you know all, they're just words. I'm just saying the same thing over and over again. It's just the same words, you know. Every, we get up here, we just do this all the time. You're with the same people. I'm just saying this. All I, feel, I, feel like, I feel like all I'm doing is saying the same thing over and over again. I pray. I've been praying for years and years. They, these things seem insipid, but they're, but they're the means through which they're the mechanisms through which God operates. They don't do the change. The proclamation doesn't change. The people, the relationships don't do the change. The, the, the prayer doesn't do the change, but the God of those things changes. And these are, the, these are the conduits through which he makes that change happen. As we put our faith in them, as we trust in what he's accomplishing and not what we can accomplish. And what do we see happen when change occurs? How do you know when change has occurred? How do you know when, when, when conversion occurs in a person's life? Well, when it happened in this, in this passage, it happened the same way in Acts chapter 10 as it happened in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes down 
on the people. Remember when we talked about that? The Holy Spirit comes down. God's changing and, and, and invades the hearts of new people, new converts. And two things begin to happen in Acts chapter 2. Two things happen in Acts chapter 10. Same two things. And so God's saying the same way the Jews are saved, same way that anybody else is saved, and same change occurs by the same mechanism, same product, same result, worship and evangelism. Worship and, worship and drawing in outsiders. Worship and, so it's, so it's vertical and it's horizontal. There's a, there's a vertical element, worshiping God. The centrality of my captivation has changed. I used to be captivated by everything out here, and now I'm captivated by one thing, by one person, by Jesus Christ. And the message of Paul, or not the message that Peter gave to the message that he was proclaiming was, when you read what he said when he got, into the, when he got in there, he says, then Peter began to speak, I now realize, and he goes on to talk about Jesus. That's all he talked about in the whole sermon. Just told Jesus' story. That's how, come I, that's how come we know what Cornelius was missing. was because the point of Jesus... And he said, when God gave Cornelius the message, he says, Cornelius, Peter, go get Peter because he has something to tell you, something that you need. And so what is it he needed? He needed Jesus. He needed to know that Jesus was the central thing. He needed his central captivation to be changed. Not noble mercy giving, not being a God-fearing man among men that people would look up to and find, find, uh, find honorable in some fashion. No, he needed Jesus at the center of all that. He needed to be centrally captivated, centrally overwhelmed, devoted, worshiping, that have that to be his number one focus in his life. And that's what was missing. That's what happens when change occurs. Even in Peter's experience, he's discovering that he'd gotten, he, that, his, that his central captivation had been lost in this particular area. And whenever there's sin, whenever there's nonconformity to the will of God, it's always when that my central captivation of Christ has been lost. But when change occurs in any person's life, it always results in new worship, worshiping God. A new sense of devotion, captivation, commitment to the person and work of God. We see that in every case, both in the Jews, both in the Gentiles, throughout the Scriptures. And when change occurs in a, in a person's life, in here and even here and now, when change occurs, it always results in a greater sense of giving honor to Christ that he becomes more the central driving force of my heart, of my activity, and of my time and talent and treasure. All of that changes because my devotion, that's why Jesus says, where your heart goes, that's where your money goes. The heart and the money are all the same. They go in the same place. That's, he, that's how the human heart was built. Built it that way. Your devotion, you, you, you always spend your money on the things you love. And if I come, and I, you know, here's the thing, I've never done this with anybody, but if I was to come to your house and look at your budget, I could tell you what you love. You could do the same thing with me. You know? Talk to, I was talking to somebody yesterday. She said, don't let me go in there. It was a bookstore. She said, don't let me go in that bookstore. I go, well, why not? Well, because if I go in there, I'm just going to buy all kinds of books. Oh, I'm just, I got, always buying books. I can't, I, can't afford, I can't afford to buy any more books. 
We joked about that for a minute, but that, she was describing the same point we're making here. You spend your money easily on things that you love. That's why when my kids call and they need something, I'm, well, how much you need? My parents have done the same thing. My dad, I'm never with my dad when he doesn't say to me, well, you, you, everything okay? You doing all right? I'm in, my, I'm in my late 50s. I have a family. I've, spent, I've, I've raised children. I've, I've shot them out into the world. Who knows where they're going? And my dad is still, he's 88 years old. And he's still, every time I'm there, you doing okay? How much you need? You make sure you ask. You have any trouble? He doesn't have a job. Why? Why? Because, because we give to the thing we love. We are devoted and we easily, and he, and he surrenders his time easily to, to his children. We surrender our time to the things we're devoted to. Our, our time, our talent, our treasure go exactly where we worship. And when change occurs, worship changes. What I worship changes when change occurs. The other thing that happens is we start gathering people to worship the same thing we're worshiping. <laughs> when, you, when you're devoted, when your captivation changes, it starts changes what you're talking about with the people around you, and we see the same thing happen. They start talking in other languages, telling the message of Christ. It gets easy, and so now the message, I'm telling other people from different languages about the thing I'm devoted to. And this is also very naturally true of humanity. That's why Facebook works. You know what I mean when I say that? Facebook, and Facebook's kind of old anymore. That's why Insta works. That's why the reels are out there. That's why, that's why, we, that's why uh, you know, uh, TikTok works. It's because, it's because what, what, what are all these platforms doing? They're simply a, a mechanism for me to communicate what I'm excited about, hoping that you'll click on it and be excited about it too. All those cat videos. Yeah. When change occurs, our central captivation changes. And it empowers us to make, to start our devotions change. Our, our worship center changes. And it changes how we start giving and loving and, and living. And it also then changes our connectivity with humanity about what we want to, about how we're communicating about our central captivation. When you're changed, you're telling people about it and trying to get them to move in that same direction. If you're not changing, you're quiet. If you're not changing, your, your devotions remain the same and often it's a revolving around yourself, then you're, then, you're, then you're generally sort of aggravated by people talking about their own change and what they're excited about. We need to change. The passage tells me again and again, there is hope for those who think they can't or won't. God is more at work now than he's ever been in human history. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the hope that you give us in your scriptures, the hope of change of conversion 
as we trust in the work of Christ, that our devotions would change, and that our connection with people about those change would occur. We'd be, we'd be conduits of your grace and hope in new ways. We pray that that would be true of each of us in some capacity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.